Welcome to the Fully Restored Podcast. Christians often struggle to talk about areas of deep hurt like trauma or abuse, shame or betrayal. These are deep soul wounds. Friend, Christ came to not only heal us from our sin, but from our soul wounds as well. My name is Kristen Klaus and I'm a licensed professional counselor and author. And my guest and I are here to walk with you on your healing journey. We see you and hear you. Friend, if you hang with me, apply these truths to your life, you will be on your own path to a fully restored story. Grab your coffee, tea, or favorite drink, and let's get started. Hi friend, Kristen Klaus here. I have a powerful new course that is launching October 25th. This course is for women who are looking for healing from all types of abuse. Fully Restored from Abuse is a 12-week online course filled with so much information and goodness where we will dig into the root of the hurt and pain from abuse in a Christ-centered way. As a licensed professional clinical counselor, trauma coach, and one who has been healed herself from abuse, your life will be transformed from this course. If you are saying to yourself, I'm ready to be healed, I know there are soul wounds in my life from past abuse, I know I wasn't just hurt physically, but emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. If you are saying, yes, it's time, Kristen. I want to be healed. I want my life to be fully restored. Then go ahead, friend, and click the link found in the show notes for this episode. Now back to our show. Hi, friends. I am so grateful you're here with us today for the Fully Restored podcast. Before we jump into my interview with today's guest, I wanted to let you know that today's topic of discussion is a difficult one and a topic that is best listened to away from children's ears. These interviews in this series are powerful, transparent, and real, but also give so much hope for someone who's been abused. Please be mindful of your own triggers and know we are discussing these things to bring them to the light of Jesus and to help women find their own healing and hope. Thanks, friends. And now to my interview. Hi, everyone. This is Kristen Klaus, and you're listening to the Fully Restored Podcast. Today, I am joined by my guest, Rachel Grohl. Rachel has experienced great heartache and sorrow with a failed adoption, which propelled her into a ministry where God is using her mightily to minister to God's children, children in ways she would have not thought possible. And friends, you're going to be encouraged and inspired by today's guest. Welcome, Rachel, to the Fully Restored Podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, it is an honor to have you here with me. So Rachel, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself, the work you do in your family? Sure. I am married to my best friend, Tim, and we live in a rural area of Northwest Pennsylvania in the middle of the woods. And we have three daughters, 10 year old and I'm sorry, an 11 year old. She just turned 11, a 14 year old and a 17 year old. So we are in the thick of raising teens and all of the fun that that brings. And I work right now, I'm working remotely with an organization called Children of the Nations. And we work globally in five countries, Malawi, Uganda, Sierra Leone, Haiti, and the Dominican Republic. And of course, right now we're not traveling. So that looks like a lot of Zoom calls and WhatsApp phone calls and those kinds of things. But I do that basically as my day job. And then I also am an author and I have a podcast and really my heart is to help point women back to Jesus. And so lots of hats that I wear on a weekly basis, but 
throughout all of it, the thread is really just knowing Jesus and making him known. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. And yes, you do wear a lot of hats, don't you? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. So Rachel, could you share with us your story and some of the struggles you experienced during your adoption process? Sure. I have, like I mentioned, I have three beautiful, healthy daughters. And in between those pregnancies, I had three miscarriages. And one of the things that I would kind of jokingly say is that I just only make girls. I can't make boys. And of course, that's not like a medically diagnosed thing. That was just my um, assumption as a mom and trying to figure out how to explain that. And I had been through a season where I had a pretty late in the game miscarriage and really was experiencing some sorrow and heartache over that. And I went actually to a worship service and during the worship service, though the Holy spirit really convicted me. And he said, you know, because of my son, you will have a son and he will be worth the wait and he will be a mighty warrior. And as clear as day, as clear as some of the other things in my life, like the direction to marry my husband and different things that God has told me, it was a very, very clear, I think almost like a, like a disciplinary thing where God was like, okay, like you need to stop saying this. And in my mind, I thought it meant that I was going to get pregnant again and have a boy. And so I came home and I told my husband and I said, you know, this is what the Lord put on my heart. And he said, well, if, if God said he'll be a mighty warrior, then we need to start praying for our son Gideon. And at the time I thought, oh man, I don't even really like that name. And he said, well, it's, we can't argue with God. So, um, we started praying for Gideon. However, I was getting ready to go to Africa on a missions trip. And I knew I wasn't at the end of the summer and I knew I didn't want to go pregnant just because of the risk of not being in the country and my history. We wanted to wait. So we waited and I, you know, went on, on this mission trip. And the first day after we landed on the way to our destination, we stopped at a children's home. And when we walked in the door of the children's home, they're going around the room and they're introducing us to all the children. And they kind of skipped over one little boy. And at the very end, they said, oh, back there in the corner, that's Gideon. And when they said his name, my heart just kind of stopped a minute. And I thought, okay, surely initially I thought this is just kind of a coincidence. And so when I looked at him, you know, they had kind of overlooked him because he had a lot of issues at that point. He had some medical issues and he wasn't speaking real well. He had actually had this whole scenario of things that had happened to him. And so I spent the day really just engaging with him, blowing bubbles and, you know, playing games and those kinds of things. And the longer I spent with him, the more I sensed in my spirit, just this confirmation of this is perhaps what God had been preparing my heart for. So I called home later that day. And I said to my husband, we stopped at this orphanage. um, And there was this little boy here and his name is Gideon. And my husband said, well, start the paperwork. And it seems too simple to say, but it was as easy as that, but it was as easy as that. And later in the day, our guide, actually it was the second day because we had been so busy that day. I went to our guide that was our in-country host. And I just said to him, you know, I can't shake this feeling that perhaps there's something more for Gideon and I. And he said to me, you know, we've been praying for you and we think that you are Gideon's mom. I said, well, why would you say that? And they said, well, let me tell you the story of Gideon. They said they had been where they were at in this rural church area of, they were in Nairobi, Kenya, the church building was not really close to where 
the pastors lived. And he said, we had been awoken in the middle of the night one night. And one of the guards, that's kind of like the custodian slash guard of the property of the church had called us and said that there was a body down at the church on the church steps. And so being the pastor, he said, of course, I'll be right down. And so they got a cab, they went down to the church. And when they got there, there was a carpet that had been rolled up. And when they opened up the carpet inside of like a a plastic bag was the body of a baby. There was a slice around his neck and a cord was tied around his neck and they removed the cord and pastors uh, in other parts of the world are a little bit more bold than some of our pastors here. And so this pastor said, well, you know what? He's not going to die on, on my watch. And so he he tried to revive him and pray over him. And of course, at that point, nothing happened. So they called the cab, they got him to the hospital and the doctors said, you know, this baby, unfortunately has been dead too long. There's nothing, nothing that we can do. And again, this pastor just so burdened said, well, we, we're not going to accept that. And he literally pulled out his anointing oil from his pocket and he started praying over this little guy and this baby was revived right in front of the doctors that had just said, you know, it's been too long. And mind you, this is like a long time after that initial phone call came and we have no idea how long that carpet was there before they even saw it. So that started the story of Gideon's fight to live. And he said, you know, we chose the name Gideon because this child is a warrior. He's a fighter and God's got some amazing things prepared for him. And so his larynx had been severed because of the way that he had been strangled. And that started a series of uh, operations that he had had. And throughout that, God actually restored his voice. And by the time I met him, he was quiet and he was a little bit more, you know, shy than some of the other children, but he was vocal. He could giggle and, and sing and he really, you wouldn't have known it to see him. And so he said, you know, we realize that God has a special purpose for Gideon. So we've been praying for an American mother for him. And man, I just, I just about lost it and realized that this was a calling that God had been preparing my heart for, for quite a long time. So we began the process of all the paperwork and all the things that happen in international adoption. And Fast forward through lots of court hearings and lots of medical appointments and lots of red tape, and we get to the very end of our process. And in in that time, Kenny had also shut down international adoption, and we had really just been through the ringer. So we're we're fast forwarding through five years and about, I don't know, $30,000 later, we're at the very end of our adoption journey and we are scheduled for court on a Friday. And Friday morning, I get a phone call from our advocate and he said, we went to go pick Gideon up from an orphanage and, and he's gone. And I said, what do you mean he's gone? And he said, well, he's gone and the house mom is gone. And I didn't quite understand. Like I, I knew that Gideon had had a special relationship with the house mom. And I thought, well, maybe perhaps she was had sorrow over us adopting him. I just didn't quite understand. And he said, no, you don't understand. He said, we, we think this is a trafficking case. And I, even at that, it didn't compute. I said, well, I mean, what, what would drug, what, what would they use drug trafficking for like a little boy, like to carry drugs? And they said, no human trafficking. And I felt every ounce of blood drained from my face. And I, I just remember collapsing on the floor and just complete sorrow, complete and utter sorrow, because 
even though this was not my biological child, this is a child that God had given me prophetically before I even stepped foot under the same continent that he was living on. And five years invested and um, so much time and so much, just so much had gone into this moment. And I got to a place where it was not healthy. I became very obsessive. Of, we worked with, uh, it's called the CDI there. Um, it's like the FBI. We worked with them trying to figure out what was going on and what was happening. And essentially what had happened was there was a orphanage on the other side of the country that was trafficking children through, there was a beach basically on, on the outside of the country that was a privately owned beach and they had built an airport on that beach. And so what was happening was, is this orphanage had been involved with the government and was falsifying death certificates of children and then selling these children to traffickers in all over Europe. And so they would take these kids to this island off the coast. And then that airport would fly directly into another private airport into Germany. And they were trafficking kids through through that whole process. And when we kind of worked to reveal some of that, uh, they shut down international adoption again. We worked with the government to basically shut down this ring that had been going on for quite some time. And my husband and I were able to be part of a trip where they we were able to receive some kids that they brought back. They kind of tracked down. There was 110 children, I believe it was, that they were able to track down that had been put through that trafficking ring just that year alone. And some of them were not even orphans. They had just been basically kidnapped. Some of them required, there was 11 of them that required some very intense surgery to repair some of the damage that had been done to their little bodies. Some of them had been taken for domestic servitude. Some of them had been taken because it was an easier way to adopt versus going through all the, the legal hoops. Unfortunately, what we found was that the place that Gideon was in was a home that they they had thought that they had legally adopted him because on the receiving end, they were also falsifying records to make it look like these were legal adoptions. And because of the nature of everything that was going on, they decided to leave Gideon and any of the other children that were in what the government decided were safe homes. They decided to leave those children there. And they only brought back the children that had, you know, it was already designated that they had parents back in the country or that they were in unsafe scenarios. They, those are the children they brought back. And so despite a battle, a very long battle, we were unable to bring Gideon back home because legally we were not his parents. And I, I will tell you, that broke me to a place of just utter and complete surrender to the point where I stopped working in that country. I refused to go back. I refused to engage with the ministries that I had been a part of for a long time. And I got to a place where I just resisted anything God was doing in that country because I couldn't understand how we could get to this place where I knew that it was birthed in obedience to what God was saying. And yet I could see God's hand. It really messed with my theology because I could see God's hand in it. And even I remember sitting at the table with one of the government officials and she said, you know, because of you and your mother's heart and not letting this go, we were able to save countless children because it wasn't just the children that we were able to, to bring back, but it was all the children that would no longer be able to go through that trafficking ring. And so 
I can see God's hand in that and I can see God's intervention, but yet my arms were still empty. And I have talked to several people that have gone through failed adoptions. And I think the temptation is always just to say, well, you can still adopt, just go for another kid or go try another country. But the reality is, is is spiritually, I still feel like Gideon's my son. And so that's kind of where we are. I mean, I feel about him as if it were one of my girls being in another country, but yet I'm not at a place to have any authority or any even relationship with him or the family that he's with. And so that's kind of what we've been left with. That's kind of where things have landed. And I have continued to just wrestle with that sorrow and that heartache. What a story of joy and heartache mixed together. Joy that these children of how many children have been saved, but heartache because to you, Gideon is your child. So how did you handle the brokenness of a failed adoption? Well, you know, in some ways I feel like the church answer would be, okay, well, Jesus deals with my brokenness. But there are parts of my heart that are still broken and they're going to remain broken because we live in this fallen world. And this side of heaven, I don't know that that will be healed. I do live with the hope of one day that being reconciled. But I think initially, you know, there was a lot of days where I kept going because of my commitment to God, but not because of how I felt. And I think One of the things with all types of brokenness is realizing there's a difference between how I feel and what God says. And what God says, his word especially, trumps how I feel. And so I think what I have revisited throughout, it's been a couple of years since then, is that when I have these moments of brokenness, I know that God can still work, not just despite, but because of that brokenness in my, in my life and as a testimony to others as well. Rachel, you've shared with us the difficulty you experienced in attempting to adopt internationally. And you've shared with us about the brokenness and trying to reconcile that with God's word and what you're feeling and your heart brokenness inside. Could you tell us about your fully restored story? How has God redeemed your struggles and turned them around? Well, like I had mentioned, I pulled out of that country completely. I just could not bear to get on a plane without Gideon. And I got to a place where I was really denying my calling for a while because of the brokenness. And when the position with Children of the Nations became available, And I think even before I interviewed with them, I remember just thinking, man, if I did this, I could get back to Africa because I knew that God had given me a missional calling to reach the loss and the hurting in some of the most broken areas of the world. I just knew I couldn't continue to do it in Kenya. And so I did not tell anybody anything at COTN. And I took on the role as the spiritual care director of We Do Holistic Orphan Care at Children of the Nations. And I could start to sense perhaps God was doing something through through that. And actually, one thing I did not share was the day that we found out that Gideon was gone, it was actually my birthday. A year later, I started COTN on my birthday. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I remember thinking like, just a 
okay, God, this isn't a gift. Like what irony is this, that this would happen on my birthday? Like it was just, I just felt like the enemy just really just was using it to add another layer of pain. So much so that I didn't, I couldn't even really think about it too much. And then when my starting date happened on my birthday, I thought, well, I didn't tell anybody. I didn't say anything. I just thought, okay, what are you doing here, God? But I didn't really even think too much about it until the following year. I actually got a message from one of our pastors in Uganda and I just do what I'm, do what I do and do what God's called me to do. And I serve in whatever capacity God has called me to serve. And one of our pastors, he said to me, and it was actually on my birthday. He said, you know, Rachel, he said, I'm so thankful for you. And the way that you advocate for our children, he said, you have a mother's heart for the orphan. And you know, at the time I didn't, I didn't think about it too much until later that day, the Holy Spirit kind of brought it up again. And I was thinking about his words and, and then God very clearly said, there's nothing wasted in the kingdom. And I realized that had I not gone through what I had gone through with Gideon, I would not advocate for the orphan child the way that I do now, you know, with every child that's in our care in every country, I don't see them as a number. I see them as a face and I see them like I would see Gideon. And I advocate for them the way I would advocate for one of my own children. If I step back and I think about the role that God has me playing within this organization and globally within the ministry of global orphan care, I wouldn't be who I am without having gone through that scenario. I wouldn't fight the way I fight. I wouldn't stand in the gap the way I stand in the gap when, when things happen in country and I can give a voice. Um, I very much am a voice for the voiceless. And I think in some ways, not that, of course, God did not plan any of that. It was evil to its core, but God can still use it. And, you know, we talked about brokenness. It would be foolish of me to say that there's not brokenness. And probably after we're done recording, I'll go and I'll cry for an hour, you know, but I refuse to allow that brokenness to keep me from God's redemptive thread through that. The way that God has seen fit to allow me to minister to the least of these really shows me that through that brokenness, he can bring himself glory and he can be the hope in places that we thought were hopeless. And I'm just thinking, Rachel, right now I'm thinking about the big scope of what you're doing and how God has called you. I love that you said your missional calling, and that's that mother's heart for the orphans. And I'm also thinking about the listeners. I'm, I'm thinking right now about the listener who they don't have that missional call, but they've been heartbroken in adoptions not going through. Different obstacles have had miscarriages, have not gotten the promise that they were hoping for in the way they they were hoping that that promise came. And they're really struggling and they're saying, yeah, but I can't put my energy into world missions, but God can turn around everybody's story, right? Everybody's story can, can get turned around. I always say that it's the springboard, the springboard for me for doing even the fully restored story is about coming out of a history of trauma and abuse as a child and a teen. And that I wanted to create a place, a setting where we can talk about difficult things. And often we don't talk about these kind of things in the church. And I'm thinking about that listener who's saying, 
okay, I can't do the missional call, but God turn around my brokenness and my pain and may some good come out of this. May you be glorified. What are some words that you could speak to them to encourage them? What are some things from your life experience where God has brought you to today? What are some things that you can share with them that's going to encourage them on their journey of healing and also of moving forward in their life and how God can use them? Well, while I recognize that not everybody has perhaps the same calling that I do, I didn't set out to fulfill that calling. I think for me, for a period of a couple of years, I really just was responding to God's prompting in, in whatever way that meant. Could we pause at that for a second? Because that is really, really good. You were just responding to what was going on in your life and to the prompting of God. It wasn't like the clouds parted, the sun shone down on you and said, I am calling you to missional work and for the orphans. But you were following that nudging of just the everyday kind of moment and issues that you were going through. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, and even in the beginning, although I said, you know, okay, that initial thought of, oh man, I could get back to Africa. The flip side of that was, oh man, I'm going to be called back to Africa. And you know, there, there was pain there still. Like there was, there was a little bit of like, well, I can't, I can't trust people that are on the other side of the ocean. Or, you know, there was just, there was a lot there that was also a huge reservation on some levels. I could see God's hand in this initially, especially, but on other levels, it scared me to death because it was so close to the trauma that I had already walked through. And I think that's where a lot of people get stuck because, you know, you hear that it's a cliche for a reason, but you hear that cliche within the church world of God will turn your mess into your message, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's no longer a mess. That's right. That's right. The mess is still there. It's just more about my obedience to what God might want to do in the middle of the mess. That might look different for different people, but I think ultimately the redemptive thread is our obedience to God in the middle of whatever it is he's trying to do in the middle of that mess. That is really good. So in the middle of the mess, so listener today, in the middle of your mess, God is here for you and God is here to minister to you. He is here to restore you, to mend that brokenness that is inside of you. Being in the middle of the mess does not mean that your life and how God wants to use you is over. Because that's really what you did, Rachel, is that in the middle of your mess, you responded to God's nudging, keep going on, get back up, don't shut down. I'm here with you. Just take one more step. You can do this oh, go over here. And then before you know it, you're back. You're in with the children of the nation's ministry. You're involved in that. And then I'm sure that that continued to grow. And we probably could talk for hours about everything of what God has done in and through you. But in the last minute or two we have, do you have just a couple of points real fast of what you could share with our listener to just encourage them today? Yeah, I think the first would be to allow yourself grace. I say that because whenever there's a, you know, a miscarriage or a failed adoption or any kind of uh, issue like that, there is a grieving process that has to happen 
that we don't always allow for, you know, we might initially say, okay, you know, there, there's this period of grief, but grief doesn't just happen in a two week time span. It happens in waves that are unpredictable. I don't think anybody told me that. I mean, the Holy Spirit did, but I don't think anybody in my life said, you know what, allow yourself grace because there are some days that you're going to feel like you have it all together. And there's other days where you don't want to get out of your bed. I mean, that's just the reality of grief in general. But I think allowing yourself grace in the same way that we would allow others grace is really important. And not just that first year. I mean, it's been several years for me and there are still days today will be one of them where I, I prepared my husband before he left for work. I said, you know, just so you know, I'm going to be talking about Gideon today. So we probably are going to have to have pizza for dinner and that's okay. I, I think allowing yourself grace is really important. And I think the second thing is to recognize that God can redeem all things in his time. Absolutely. That that doesn't necessarily look like our time. And if you had said to me in the middle of it, I mean, even when Pastor Herbert first said that to me, I didn't recognize it. It wasn't until later until the Holy Spirit revealed it that this was perhaps the beginning of the redemptive thread. And I think, you know, we've not been able to travel and, and so since I've been on staff, I've had lots of, it's been over two years now, and I've had lots of trips canceled because of political chaos and COVID and, you know, again with COVID and again with political chaos. And so I've not set foot back in Africa yet, even though I'm working alongside of our teams. And so I think there's going to be a continued level of both grace and redemption that's going to have to happen once I'm in country. And I think it's okay. So I think, you know, forgetting this prescribed notion of, okay, well, your healing should take so much time. I think throw that out the window, allow yourself the the grace to just experience the emotions that God has given us to help us cope with our grief. And, and then recognizing that his timing is not always our timing. And I love that you talked about grief because there's so much to your story, really. I mean, we could do four episodes and break down different components about your story, but we didn't even get into grief. And so I appreciate you mentioning that because that is so important with this particular topic that we're discussing, because you're, you're talking about miscarriages, you're talking about failed adoptions. Those are both scenarios of grief and loss. So I so appreciate you sharing that with us. Now, you've written two books, and one, your first book is called Go, and the second one is called She Hears. Are they both out and available now? Yep, everywhere books are sold, they're both available. Go is more, it was my first book, and it was really more geared towards those that are currently in ministry. It was both a resource to encourage and equip. There's some curriculum in there. It's all about starting an outreach ministry. She Hears is a women's Bible study that looks at six women in the life of Jesus and how he encourages and empowers and equips them. It's really a Bible study that digs deep into some of the same parallels that we as women experience today. My encouragement though, is to, if anybody wants to buy a copy of those, of course they're available, you know, anywhere books are sold, but my encouragement has really been to support your local bookstore because they have just been hurting throughout the pandemic. And I've been trying to push people there, even if they don't carry them in the store, they can order them from their distributors. But I, that's just my little personal plug because I want to support the local guys. Yeah, I appreciate that. Now, how can people connect with you online and find you? Where, where can they find you at? 
I am pretty much everywhere she hears. So my, my website is shehears.org on Instagram. I hang out mostly on Instagram, but I'm on Instagram as she hears and Facebook as she hears. And then I do have the she hears podcast and that's linked on all of those sites as well, where I just kind of right now I'm finishing up a series where we kind of dug a little bit deeper with each of the women and uh, that we looked at for each week of the Bible study and just kind of shared some of my heart behind it. I share a lot of biblical content and really just faith in real life type type content. Well, thank you, Rachel, for joining us today. Our show notes and all the links shared with us today can be found at my website, fullyrestored.love. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all of our shows. We would appreciate it if you would leave a rating as well on whatever platform you're listening to us on. I would love to stay connected with you. So you can find me on Instagram at Facebook. Both of those are at author Kristen Klaus. I pray that this episode of Fully Restored Podcast ministered to you and spoke life to those broken places within you. May Rachel's story inspire you and fill your heart with a a love and passion for the orphans in our world who are looking for love and also an understanding of what those who are going through that have experienced miscarriages and failed adoptions. And remember friends, No matter what you're facing in life, nothing or no one is beyond restoration with our Jesus.